I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 43 today. Isaiah chapter 43. I mentioned earlier when we opened the service that I've been going through the book of Isaiah and just trying to find um, encouragement and um, hope from God's Word. And this passage is one that I wanted to share with you for the new year. It talks about God doing something new. God doing something new. How many like new things? Anybody? Maybe some things we like new, some things not so much, right? Sometimes the good old ones are the ones we want to keep, like your pair of shoes, like mine that Kathy throws out when I'm not at home because they're so old and worn out. There's some things we just hold to because they're comfortable. But there's other things we like new, like a new car, new truck, amen? Um, and, and yet there are things that not so good to be new. But God makes all things new, the Bible says. And uh, especially today, I want to talk to you about him making new things in our lives. Um, if you had a bad year, you're probably looking forward to this year and hoping and praying that it'd be a good year, right? And maybe you had a great year, and um, you're looking and you're saying, well, I'm not sure I'm ready to leave 2015 behind. I've been doing pretty good. Why mess it up? Let's quit changing dates around. Let's just keep going the way it is. And then there's others, like I mentioned, that it's just another day, that one year is the same as the past year, and, and God just, and I kind of think that's the way it really is. Years and dates and times are for us, not for God. He's going to bless regardless of what number we put on the calendar, and so we just follow him day by day. I ran across some sayings I want to share with you about the new year. Uh, this one was very sentimental. Alfred Lord Tennyson said this, hope smiles from the threshold of the year to come, whispering, it will be happier, Alfred Lord Tennyson. And maybe that's where you're at today. You're sitting there on the threshold of this new year saying, maybe this one will be happier. Ogden Nash wrote one that's probably more in line with the way many of us feel. He was a comedic poet. And he said this, Tonight's December 31st, something is about to burst. The clock is crouching, dark and small, like a time bomb in the hall. Hark, it's midnight, children dear. Duck, here comes another year. And maybe that's where you're at. And then, of course, one of my favorite poets of all time, great theologian himself, Brad Paisley. Brad Paisley is reported to have said this, Tomorrow is the first blank page of a 365-page book write a good one. And I like that. But I also think we could put a little twist on that. And as Christians, we ought to let God be writing our book. Amen? That he guides the steps of his children. And so uh, it is a new start. So we're going to look in Isaiah 43 and talk about God doing something new. In verse 14, he begins, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. And let me just stop there and kind of set the pace where you know where we are. Israel has been taken off into bondage, into captivity. They've backslid, they've disobeyed God, they've not kept their covenant to Him. He's been faithful to them all along, but they've gone after false gods, and they've not obeyed Him, they've not continued to worship Him. And so God allowed foreign nations to come in and, and ransack the city and haul captives off. And they have not been a nation. They've been in bondage for years. And so God is coming along to them in this passage of Scripture, and he is reassuring them that he will once again deliver them. And so that's the idea behind this doing a new thing, is God is telling them, hey, I have delivered you in the past. Hang on, because I'm about to do it again. He's given them hope that things are going to change. And he opens the passage and he says, thus says the Lord. And that gives it some authority, doesn't it? 
How many of you ever had someone tell you when things were going bad, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right, don't worry about it. And you're thinking, well, how do you know it's going to be all right? Or a preacher says to you, you know, hey, it's going to be a great year for you, quit worrying about it. And you say, how do you know it's going to, none of us know that. You know, or hey, things are going to get better. They might not, they might get worse, Right? Um, sometimes we're like the one that goes through the tunnel and sees the light at the end of the tunnel only to find out it was a train coming out in full speed. Things aren't always going to get better. We don't have an assurance of that. But when God says something, we can count on it. And so he opens this passage bright and clear by saying, thus says the Lord. This was not even Isaiah encouraging the people. This is the word of God as spoken by Isaiah. And he says, thus says the Lord. And he reminds them of who he is. And I think that's very important for us to realize is that from time to time, we need to step back and gaze upon God and realize just who this God is that we serve. He says several things about him. In verse 14, he says, I am your redeemer. I am your redeemer. I'm the one that will set you free. I'm the one that will pay the price that needs to be paid to give you freedom from this captivity. And God is our redeemer. He is the one that will redeem us from sin. Uh, Paul Tripp said this in one of his books. He said, we must not offer people a system of redemption, a set of insights and principles. We must offer people a redeemer. And that's the most important thing. It is not that you just come to church and not that you read your Bible and not that you say so many prayers and that you do it in a certain way. All those things are great, but we want to offer you more than anything else a redeemer a Savior, Christ above everything else. He also goes on and he says, I'm the Holy One of Israel in verse 14. And again in verse 15, he says, I'm the Lord, your Holy One. And what he's telling them there is, I'm the righteous one. I'm the Holy One. And it really boils down to this. I'm the one that you can trust. I'm the one that when he says something, keeps his word. God is a God of truth, isn't he? And we know in the New Testament, Jesus says the devil is the father of lies. And so he says, I'm the Holy One, the one that you can completely trust to do what he said he's going to do. In verse 15, he says to them this, he says, I'm the creator of Israel. He reminds them that he is his creator. He is the one that can do all things. I'm reminded of the parent that looked at their child when they had misbehaved and looked down and says, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. God looks to Israel and he reminds them, not in a negative sense, but in a very positive sense, I created you. And if I created you, why would I let you suffer like this? If I created you, why wouldn't I rescue you when you're in trouble? He created them as a nation. And you know, the world today desperately wants to find any explanation they can for the existence of this earth, don't they? I mean, to the point where we come up with all kinds of far-fetched theories about where man came from and where the earth came from. And scientists have even outdone themselves as they said that the earth is millions of years old. And then as science has discovered with DNA, a million years or a billion years would not be enough to have evolved to the point that we are. And so now they come up with other stories, like we are from a different planet that existed long ago, somewhere out in a different galaxy, and then we were transported somehow to a new young earth. And it's just insane, isn't it? The depths that we go to try to explain away God as our creator. But he says very clearly, I am your creator. And I think the reason the world does not want to acknowledge this is because if he is our creator, then he has the right to rule. 
If He's our Creator, then He is the one that says what is what. He did bring us into this world, and He does demand our allegiance. He does demand our obedience. And so the world, rather than obey God, would rather say, there is no God. He also tells them in verse 15, He reminds them this. He says, I am your King. I am your King. And that's a great thing to be reminded of. He's their ruler. That it wasn't David, it wasn't any of these earthly kings that was ultimately their king. Ultimately, God says, I am your king. And so this is who's speaking to them. Erwin Litzer said this about knowing the identity of God, and I believe it to be true. He says, if there is one single reason why good people turn evil, have you ever wondered about that? If there's one single reason why good people turn evil, it is because they fail to recognize God's ownership over their kingdom, their vocation, their resources, their abilities, and above all, their lives. It's so important that we realize that God is our king. And yet we live in a time, don't we, when every one of us wants to be the king of our own world. As men, we get this arrogant idea, and we are so misinformed. When we walk into our house, we walk in and we say, I'm the king of this house. And our wives laugh at us and let us think that, and we go on, and we say, I'm the king of my destiny, and I'm the king of this. We are the king of nothing. God is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he is quick to remind them of this in this passage of Scripture. And so he reminds them of who he is. And so as we enter a new year this morning, I want us to all know that we must never forget who God is. That is so important. Remember that he is in heaven and we're here on earth. That he is exalted above everything else and we are just small specks on this planet. But God loves us nonetheless. So I must never forget that. Elizabeth Elliot, the missionary, said this, Where does your security lie? Is God your refuge, your hiding place, your stronghold, your shepherd, your friend, your counselor, your redeemer, your savior, your guide? If he is, she says, you don't need to search any further for security. God should be everything to us. And so this morning, the question that I have for you is this, is he your redeemer? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Have you allowed Him to pay the price for your sins? Because there is no way we could ever pay the price on our own. And so He's our Redeemer. Is He your Holy One? Is He the one you trust? Or do you go to other sources and you hope that they're right? Or do you depend on God and believe and trust that He is right? Is He your Creator? And we know that He is. He has the right to rule in our lives. And is He your King? Or are you this morning maybe in rebellion to the King of kings and Lord of lords? Don't forget who God is. And now a second time in the passage in Isaiah 43, he opens again and he uses that same phrase, thus says the Lord. He repeats it twice in just a few verses, just showing the emphasis on the words that he is about to speak to them. In verse 16, he says, thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. What he does there is he reminds them of what he has done for them in the past. And if you notice those words that he uses, talking about chariots and soldiers and drowning in the water, he is taking them right back to the time when Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry land. 
Remember when they had escaped Egypt and Pharaoh and Moses led them out and there they were confronted with the water before them and the enemy behind them and they thought they were surely going to die. But God stepped forward and he parted the waters and all of Israel crossed on dry land. And God's reminding them that, hey, no matter how desperate situations seem, no matter how bad things may be, God will always make a way. God can make a way when it seems impossible to us. When we look at things that we're told in this world today that are completely impossible, God says, I can do that. I can do that without a problem. I divided the Red Sea, and I can surely divide whatever it is that's before you. But he also reminds them that not only did he divide the sea for them, but he took that very same sea and he closed it up on Pharaoh's soldiers. Remember, as Pharaoh's army pursued Moses into the water, and they were probably fearful, but yet confident because of their power, and on they went through the sea on the same dry land the children of Israel passed. But when they all got into the sea, the walls began to collapse on them, and Pharaoh's army got drowned, as the old song says. And God reminds them of that, of what he had done for them. He says that he delivered them from Egypt. He parted the sea for them. Then he drowned Pharaoh's army for them in the same sea. But he also reminds them not to dwell too much on the past. He says, yes, I did all these things for you. I delivered you. I made a way in the wilderness. But don't get too wrapped up in that, he says, because I've got something else coming. And the second thing this morning is this. I must never forget what God has done for me. And God has done great things for us, hasn't he? Can you imagine where we would be today without Christ? I, I've been one that was saved at a young age in church, in the Shafter Free Will Baptist Church. I was seven years old. Mom and dad went going before that. And so I've never really been out there in the world. And many times I listen to people give their testimonies about all that God has saved them from, from prison or jail or drugs or alcohol or wild lives. And I think, man, I, I don't have a testimony like that. But you know what? I know this, that without God, I'd have been down that same road. And we must never forget what God has done for us. If you've been down that road, don't ever forget how he delivered you from that. If you've ever been in the depths of sin, don't ever forget what he's done for you. If you've ever been in the depths of discouragement or depression or despair, and God has delivered you, don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget the time when he forgave your sins and he wrote your name down in the Lamb's Book of Life because that is the greatest miracle you will ever experience in this life when God takes you and makes you a new person. Don't ever forget what God has done for you. In Psalms, one of my favorite Psalms, 124, the psalmist reminds us of all that God does and he reminds Israel specifically. He says this, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. But he says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as a prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. But listen to that repeated phrase there, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Sometimes we get to feeling like God has maybe abandoned us, don't we? Sometimes we get to feeling like we're just wandering out there and God's not doing anything in our life. But make no mistake, he is always busy, 
always doing something in our life. He is always protecting us, always watching over us. Not a sparrow falls from heaven, the Bible says, that God is not aware of it. And there is nothing that takes place in your life or mine that God is not aware of, and there is nothing that takes place that catches him off guard. It may catch us off guard. It may trip us up. It may frighten us, but not God. Don't ever forget what God has done for you. Has he saved your soul? Don't forget that. Maybe he's mended relationships in your life. Don't ever forget that. Maybe he's provided for your needs at a time when you didn't know how you were going to get through. And yet God miraculously provided for you. Don't forget that. Maybe he's preserved your health. Maybe the doctors at one time told you it's bad. And God came along and said, not anymore. Don't forget what God has done for you. Maybe he's just kept you safe. It was one of those moments where you look back and you say, if it had not been God, I would not be here today. Don't forget what God has done for you. And as we enter a new year, wanting God to do new things for us, just don't forget what he's already done. Psalm 66 and 16 says this, Come and hear all you who fear God. And he says, And I will tell you what he has done for my soul. How long has it been since you lived out that verse? How long has it been since you gathered someone around you and said, let me tell you what God's done for me? Shared your testimony? Talked about how Jesus has changed your life? Don't forget what God has done. But not only that, we also need to look ahead to what God is going to do. And he is going to do great things. We've got to thank him for what he has done, but we've got to be ready for what he's about to do. Stop dwelling in the past and start dreaming of tomorrow. Isaiah's words are not much different than the New Testament. In Philippians, Paul said this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. And catch what he says, But one thing I I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm forgetting what's behind me, and I'm moving ahead. God has more for me. Some things it's easy to forget, isn't it? Some things we just as soon forget. Some things we just can't wait for time to get between us and that event because they are terrible memories. And those are easy to forget, sometimes hard to forget. Other things we like to hold on to forever, we never let them go. But Paul said, let go of the past. It's not as important as what God is going to do in the future. Keep pressing on towards the mark. And then in verse 19, we come to the end of this passage in Isaiah. And in verse 19, he says this, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And ultimately what he's telling them is, hey, don't keep looking back to what God did for your fathers when they crossed the Red Sea. I mean, he did that, and that was great, but don't keep looking at that. He says, I'm about to do something new for you. I'm about to deliver you from the Babylonians. I'm about to turn your captivity. This morning, if you're here and you have not experienced Christ on your own, it's not enough that you just keep looking back to what he's done for other people. If you're here and maybe your mom and dad served the Lord and your grandma and grandpa served the Lord, that's great. That's what he did for them. But quit looking at that and look ahead and ask yourself, what is God going to do for me? 
Is God going to save me? Is he going to deliver me? Is he going to set my soul free? Is he going to be my redeemer, my king, my Lord? Don't dwell in the past. Understand God wants to do something new in us. And so God is assuring them that he'll deliver them from Babylon. And he really gives some harsh words there. He says, I'm going to turn Babylon into the captives. You're going to change, you're going to be delivered, and I'm going to do something for them. The third thing this morning is I must never forget what God can do. What God can do. He said, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. He says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Understand what God can do. He can do all things. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians, he can do more than we'd even ask, dream, think, hope, aspire to. God can do far more than that. So this morning, as you're sitting here and you're thinking about what are the possibilities for this coming year? What are the possibilities even for my future or my life or my career or my family? What could God do? You just dream as big as you want to dream. And God can do far more than that, he says. God can do far more than that. And Matthew 19 and 26, I think it was maybe the first or second year that we were here, the VBS used this as their theme verse. He said, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So don't ever forget what God can do. He can do all things. When you're faced with bad news and it looks grim, don't forget, God can do all things. God can do all things. We don't need to give in to what the world says. We need to give in to God and trust him. What do you want God to do in your life this year? Maybe it's relationships that need to be mended, or maybe it's a new relationship that you want. Maybe it's your work. Maybe you're frustrated with work, or maybe you're out of work, and you're hoping that God will provide, or maybe you need a better job to meet your family's needs. And there's nothing wrong with praying to our God and saying, God, I need you to do something new in my life this year. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your health. We approach the new year. You're shaky in the health, and, and you're wondering, what could God do? Is he going to heal me? Is he going to see me through this year? God can do that. But whatever new thing we desire this year, let me share this with you. What if, what if God doing something new starts with me or starts with you? You see, we dream about all these big things that we want God to do in our life. But what if God says, I'm going to do something new this year, but I'm going to start with you and your life. I'm going to start with making some changes. I'm going to start with adjusting some things in your life. Because when he begins to change us, it's amazing how our world changes around us. It begins with us. God wants to do something new in me this year. And he wants to do something new in you. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, new creation. The old passed away, and behold, all has become new. God wants to do something new in you. And so, rather than think about all these bigger things, let's just start with what God wants to do in us. Maybe this year, God wants a new attitude 
in us. You ever heard that saying, so-and-so needs an attitude adjustment? And most of us are quick to volunteer to do that, right? He needs an attitude adjustment, and I'm just the guy to do it. Or we look to our children and we say they need an attitude adjustment right as we're unleashing our belt, right? Maybe God from heaven looks down at us occasionally and says, you need an attitude adjustment. Maybe that's what God wants to do this year. Maybe you got a negative attitude, a bitter attitude, a critical attitude, or just a, just a bad attitude altogether. Maybe... God wants to give you a new perspective this year, a new way of seeing things. We have a tendency, don't we, to see things the way everyone else sees things, the way the world sees things. Sometimes we look at our lives and we judge them the same way the world judges lives. We say, if I don't have a lot, I must not be successful. But maybe this year, rather than God just giving you a lot, He wants to change your perspective the way you see things and open your eyes and realize, I have everything that I need. He changes our perspective, the way we look at things. Or maybe it's our perspective of other people. You ever looked at someone and looked down on them? Maybe you didn't say anything, but in your heart of hearts, you looked down on them. Or maybe they were annoying Or maybe they bothered you. Maybe they were the ones that when you ran through Walmart and you saw them in the other aisle, you kind of went quick and hoped they didn't see you. Maybe God is saying, I want to change the way you look at people this year. I want to change your perspective. I want to change the way you see your life. Because maybe it's really not all that bad. I was with someone a while back and they came in and were talking about how bad their life was. And I said, oh, it's terrible, isn't it? And I began to list off all the blessings that they had that I've been watching. I said, it's just a terrible life, isn't it? You got a great job. You got a great car. You got a great this. You got a great that. And really began to cause them to say, hey, wait a minute. I need to change the way I see things. Maybe it's new habits that God wants to give you this year. And habits, you know, are a tough thing, aren't they? They're a tough thing to break, and they're a tough thing to begin. I can testify to that on the diet category this week. There's a missing banana bread that will prove it. (laughs) It's real easy to say, I'm going to start reading my Bible this year. Sometimes it's a little more difficult to actually do it. It's real easy to say, I'm going to quit smoking, or I'm going to quit drinking, or I'm going to quit cussing. Real easy to say it, but sometimes it's tough to do it. And maybe this year what God is saying is, let me do something new in your life. Let me give you a new habit, a new discipline, if you will, a new way of doing things. Or maybe God wants to give you some new commitments, some new responsibilities. Maybe as we look back across the last year, we realize that life was pretty free and easy. And maybe God this year is saying, I'm going to stretch you this year. I want you to make some commitments for me this year. I want you to to do something above and beyond for me, whether it is witnessing to folks, working, cleaning a church. Maybe it's teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe it's taking a turn in the junior church and teaching a bunch of rowdy kids. Maybe it's riding with Victor in the van and helping him kind of keep them in their seats while they go around corners. 
Who knows what it is? But maybe God is speaking to you even right now and saying, I want something new from you this year. Some new commitments. Maybe it's just the commitment to be in God's house. Maybe it's just that commitment to simply be faithful. But God says, I want to do a new thing. Are we willing to let him do this in our lives? Once we surrender to God, he'll begin to do a new thing in us. I'm completely confident of that. When I finally lay my life out before him and say, here I am, God, whatever you want, it's amazing how quickly he begins to do something. When I quit trying myself and let him do it. You ever struggled with someone, maybe a child, and they were trying to do something, and you said, let me help you, and they no. And they do it themselves. And, and so you finally just step back, and you say, fine, do it yourself. And you wait till they wear themselves out, and they go, now, can I show you? Maybe that's us this year. Is God is saying, are you done trying yourself? Why don't you just let go and let me? And finally this morning, I must never forget to praise the Lord. Never forget to praise the Lord. In verse 20 of our text, he says this, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people the people whom I have formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. And he really says something there. He says, even the wild animals know who I am. I'm the God that provides water in the wilderness. And again, he is taking them back and reminding them of how he provided for them in the wilderness. He said, even the jackals, even the ostriches, and the wild, they know who I am, and they know what I've done. And then he says, but the people who I form for myself, they are the ones that need to praise my name. So maybe this year what we need to do to make everything new is just begin to lift and exalt the name of God like never before. We are quick to complain, aren't we, when things don't go right. But how quick are we to lift up and praise the name of God when things are going right? Let's exalt God like never before. As we come to a new year, I want to challenge you with the same thing. God says, I am doing a new thing. What do you want God to do? And where does it begin? It begins with you. What does God need to do in your life? Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking on. I wonder this morning, first of all, and most importantly, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God wants to do something amazing in your life. He wants to do exactly what Paul said. He wants to take your life and make you something completely new. He wants to take away all the sins, all the condemnation, all the guilt, all the shame. He wants to wipe that all away and make you brand new in him. And it's not as difficult as it sounds because God can do anything. In fact, all it requires of us is that we surrender to him and say, God, here I am. I believe that you died for me. And I want you to come into my life and be my Savior. And I'm going to follow you. And if you do not know Christ, that's what you need more than anything else this morning. And it is amazing how things become new when we become new.